0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. The GIST is sponsored by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. And by stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit stamps.com and use the promo code Gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. Mm.
1: It's Tuesday, February 17th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. So you may have heard that Lance Armstrong set another record. An arbitration panel in Texas handed down a $10 million penalty thought to be the largest monetary sanction against an individual in American judicial history. Lance, Lance, Lance. So Armstrong is to pay SCA Promotions, a Dallas sports insurance company. It's actually headed by a guy who's like the World Bridge Champion for a dozen years in a row, and his keen knowledge of statistics helps him running SCA promotions. You probably heard that about the big jury award, and you know some things, right? You know that Lance lied and you know that Lance cheated, but what is it? What is this Dallas sports insurance company? Almost none of the stories actually tell you what the company is. What was this suit about? I'm going to do it now. Okay, let's say you're managing an athlete, and you know that if he wins, he'll be very marketable, so you'll make a lot of money as the management company you'll get endorsement deals so you cut a deal with him to incentivize him you say hey we'll pay you 10 million dollars if you win three four five whatever tours de france but as the management company where are you going to get the 10 million dollars so here to explain is jeff dora general counsel of sca jeff one question one question only what is scas business and why would lance armstrong need it essentially you have corporations or you have sports management organizations in the case of Mr. Armstrong. Who would like to offer high-value prizes, but they don't necessarily want to have to budget for payment of that whole amount? So what SCA does is we have a team of actuaries that assess the risk of any particular event happening, whether it's winning a, a number of Tour de Frances in a row, uh, or making a half-court shot, or you know something along those lines, and. For a fee, we're willing to pay the prize amount in the event that there is a valid win. Uh, It's almost bordering on an insurance-type product, but under Texas law, our services are exempt from the definition of insurance, so we're not technically an insurance company. And now it looks like Armstrong will be the one. Who will pay? On the show today in the spiel, another insurance debacle, filling out health care forms online until your eyes bleed. But first, America loved debating the parenting merits of the tiger mom. Now, the titular tigress is back with her husband and fellow Yale law professor to argue that some cultures have a special something when it comes to achievement. Here's my situation with Harry's. Harry's razors. Oh, let me back up a little bit and tell you about Harry's. Harry's was started by a couple guys who were like, why are we paying so much for razors? Let's buy a factory and make better razors. So they did. Now here's where I am. This is what I use. This is my razor. And you know, when you do ads for Harry's, they ship you a razor, the opening set, which you could get for $18. It's a razor, moisturizing, shave, cream, and three razor blades. And you know what? They gave me another one. So I had the six razor blades. I've been doing the show how long? Nine months? So I got uh, I got a couple of these starter sets. So I got six razor blades. Now, they don't really last. I'm not saying six razor blades are going to last you nine months, but I only shave once twice a week when I go on TV. So now I'm going to have to buy the Harry's razor blades. And you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm not even using this ad to hit them up for free razors. It's a great razor. It's so good, I'm actually going to pay for it. You're like, wait a minute. You're asking us to do this all the time. This is what you ask us to do every time you do a Harry's ad. But I'm saying I stand by the product so much much that i will pay for it but if you hear me harrys i'll take a free one too so here's what you do go to harrys.com now and harrys will give you five dollars off if you type in my coupon code just with your first purchase that's dot com, and enter coupon code just at checkout for five dollars off and start shaving better today At the risk of giving away the twist ending of The Triple Package, I will now tell you what The Triple Package is. Well, first, The Triple Package is a new book that seeks to explain what makes some cultural groups succeed. Second, The Triple Package literally is, here's the package, a superiority complex, a deep sense of insecurity, and gobs of impulse control. And third, The Triple Package is the reason why its authors, Yale Law Professor and husband and wife, Amy Chua and Jed Rubinfeld are here. Hello, guys.
0: Thanks for having us.
1: So the book talks about some groups that we all think of as success stories, the attainment of Asian Americans, for instance. But there are also in the book Cubans, Mormons, groups that feel like they are a version of the chosen people, but also feel like they have something to prove. And they do have grit. They do have impulse control.
2: Well, that's exactly right. That's, that's a great summary of all three of the characteristics. And, you know, it, it's just a striking phenomenon. I mean, we are living in a period of increased inequality, declining upward mobility. These are huge problems for America. But what you don't hear about so often, but what turns out to be true, is that some groups are experiencing upward mobility way more than other groups. That is, kids of working class families where the, the parents are uneducated, uh, restaurant workers. In these groups, are experiencing rates of upward mobility way higher than the country as a whole. That's the phenomenon we're talking about because, you know, if we could figure out how they're doing it, we might really be in a cha- in a position to change the way we approach poverty, inequality, and to have something that we
1: could all learn from. Because I think a lot of people know, they think they know, and the facts bear this out, uh, Jews extremely successful. I think in your book you talk about how the median income of Jewish Americans is is about... 2010, about
2: $98,000. For Indian Americans, is a little over $90,000. The median income for the country as a whole is uh, in the 50s. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it is extraordinary.
1: Double for about some of these double. groups, right. Yeah. But I think Indian Americans, Asians, and it's funny how Indi- uh, South Asians and Asians are often called the new Jews. So that's an acknowledgement that people know these groups are successful. An interesting thing you do is to take a slice of the Latino community, namely Cubans, and a slice of the African-American community, namely Nigerians, and talk about them and their success.
0: Yeah, and... I mean, this is why, you know, one of the big points of our book is that um, success has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with skin color. Some of the most successful groups in America today are black or Hispanic. And both the Nigerian-Americans and the Cuban-Americans really exhibit the triple package. I mean, they, for better or for worse, and we talk a lot about the downsides, they both have enormous sense of exceptionality. You know, Cuban exceptionality, we're special to the point that we're different from other Hispanic-Americans.
1: Well, you know, the... the Maybe someone listening to this will say, "Haven't you? Okay, those are great labels. It's good that you have this label, the triple package. Aren't we really just talking about prizing education? The Jews, fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, prized education. They succeeded. Asians are crazy about education. I lived in." South Korea for many months and taught in a hagwon, which is their, uh, their secondary schools crazy about education. Is it much more complicated than that? If you really prize education, your kids do better.
0: Ironically, of course education is the, is the key to success. But in a way, that's the more essentialist uh, suggestion that, you know, these people, with the Chinese, you can imagine, oh, it's Confucian. They are an education culture. Yeah. But are you going to say that about Nigerians are an education culture? And what's interesting is that the groups that are successful change over time. And so what we think is that what no other theory of success really explains is drive, right? Like, Why are some people and some groups more motivated? If you're pretty comfortable, you're not starving. Why do you need to get the A's? Why do you need to strive? And we say it's really this combination of the insecurity. That's the fire. I might starve. People aren't respecting me. But combined with the sense of exceptionality that gives you kind of a chip on the shoulder mentality. And education in the United States is the best route to kind of, if you have drive, how are you going to, you know, get some results? And it's really through education.
1: Because, you know, it's funny. It's funny that America definitely fosters this, and it really is the land of opportunity. And if, uh, you know, an Igbo person from Nigeria comes here, they will succeed more than they might in Nigeria. However... There's so much of the American message that is the antithesis of all these, like insecurity, right? Don't we kind of placate people and we tell them everything's going to be fine and we should all have self-esteem, whether earned or not? And superiority, I mean, pretty explicitly, we say no one's better than anyone else. These damage what we think of as the uh, fundamental American dream, which is improving yourself.
2: Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's something we, we try to show that America, which started out, having all these qualities in its first couple of hundred years has really turned away from them in, in, in kind of mainstream contemporary culture. So the whole self-esteem uh, focus is trying to tell people, don't be insecure. In fact, in America today, being insecure is like uh, you should go to a therapist, and, and, and all the studies now show that self-esteem—and this took everybody by surprise, the psychologists especially— if you increase people's self-esteem, they do worse, and they've without done,
1: worth, without a reason. Yes, if to increase happen. their self-esteem. If you just give them self-esteem
2: boosting messages, and this has been done in controlled experiments, students do worse. And also, you know, kind of, we now live in kind of an instant gratification culture rather than a you know imp, what we call impulse control culture. So yeah, these groups have cultural qualities that make them outsiders in America, and that's part of the reason why they're doing better than the American average.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the interplay between superiority and insecurity. If it is confusing to a listener, wait, how do I on the one hand say that we're better, but then on the other hand say I'm no better or I need to uh, strive more? How do you explain that?
0: It's almost like you need – if you're only insecure, then you just feel depressed and paralyzed. But if you only feel superior, then you're complacent, right? So you need that confidence, but you need also something that lights the fire. This is like a huge trope in sports, right? Like the underdog, right? This concept, it, it's not just a loser. It's not just somebody who's insecure. It's somebody who thinks that they should be number one and can win, but, like, people aren't respecting them enough. And it's a, it's a pretty familiar idea. So that's the, the kind of psychology. And yeah, these we are go people through, who,
2: yeah. if they come in second or third, out of thousands of people
1: yeah. feel like they haven't succeeded. Yeah. Okay, now, this, now here comes the pushback uh, portion of the interview. There are basically three things. Superiority. I just think it's so common. You more or less acknowledge that, that the exceptional thing about exceptionalism is how unexceptional it is. So many cultures feel themselves superior. But at a certain point, Putting aside maybe African-Americans, the legacy of slavery, how many groups are there that don't feel superior? Isn't it almost like saying, you know, groups with fingers succeed? I was comparing the Mexicans, I know, to the Cubans. Mexicans are the same way. Mexicans think that Mexico is the greatest. But when the Mexican soccer team is playing, they will talk trash to all the Cubans. So how can we really say, if it's so prevalent everywhere, why is that such an essential part of the triple package?
2: I think you're overstating it a little bit. There can be differences of degree. So if you look at Latin American culture and you ask Latin Americans, uh, they will tell you that Cubans in general have a higher sense of their own superiority. And it it, it annoys them. and it's, The other it's, Latin
1: Americans will yes. say Cubans. They're yeah. the haughty it's, ones. It, it's, yeah. not,
2: it's not us saying this. This is stuff that you, know, you can test for, that has been recorded, that you can see expressed all over the place. So while it's true that many, many uh, uh, nations, groups you know, have, tell themselves stories that they are exceptional, some groups stand out and, and somehow communicate to their members. You know, it's, it's hard to know why they communicate these chosen people narratives, these you know, exceptionality narratives in a stronger way than others, I think.
0: And, and, but I want to turn that around. That's what's positive. I mean, we talk about Sonia Sotomayor. She's from a you know Puerto Rican family. Her father was an alcoholic, but she says that she was instilled with a sense of personal exceptionality that she could rule the world and just do anything by her grandmother. So, so we don't mean for it to be an exclusive thing,
1: right? But if so many examples in the book are here's a group, here's a cultural group, and here's why they've succeeded, and that makes everyone feel feel good. I mean, there's an uncomfortable implication. So why have Puerto Ricans succeeded as much? Why haven't Mexican Americans succeeded? And as you go through the traits, well, do they lack superiority? Do they have complacency, which would be the opposite of insecurity? Do they lack impulse control? And I don't know, I don't see in the book, you calling out cultural groups that have been lagging and saying, well, okay, I, I got to
2: step in here. You are asking questions as many people have that suggest that our book is a theory of poverty i okay. Now, let me be very clear about this. You're asking questions of the following form. Wait, can we really um, use your set of three uh, qualities to explain why some groups in America are poorer than mm-hmm. others? We are not saying that. The reasons for for poverty, the causes of poverty in this country are many. They're institutional. They have to do with history, slavery. Some of what we're saying, some of what we're saying, is related to that in the following sense. Like, America has ground out the sense of superiority from certain groups. It has tried to do so. It has successfully done so. And that's made it harder for those groups. But the, the reasons why African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Appalachians in this country are mired in poverty has much more to do with history, with institutions, with economic factors. What we have tried to give a theory of is why certain groups are doing better
1: than the national average. But is there an implication that this is enough? that the triple package is enough? Do you believe that it will continue to be enough as you look at how the structure of our society and opportunity as a whole in our society has changed and upward mobility has gotten harder? All the facts show.
0: I think we do worry, right? We are absolutely not saying that the triple package is all you need. So, for example, one thing that I think is a is a rising concern is the children of super wealthy privileged parents not having to work hard, not having to get drive, not having to—just networking, right? I mean, our numbers are showing that all of the studies that say that there is no more upward mobility in America— remarkably leave out immigrants and immigrants' children. And that's a huge component of America. It's not saying that this is the only problem, right? I mean, we I think we have some serious problems about self-replication and using of connections. I mean, I worry about this all the time at, at Yale Law School.
1: Piketty's idea about, the, about wealth and how it propagates itself. Got it. Uh, Jed, you're Jewish? That's right. Do you despair for the future of the Jewish people. Because there's stuff in your book about how they're not as successful as they once were. Yeah, well, there are some
2: interesting statistics. Rugg's High
1: School of Science, not churning out those Nobel laureates like they once did.
2: It's completely true. And, and, it, yeah, and a lot of Jewish people in America do worry about this. There are uh, statistics that uh, suggest that uh, the Jews in America may be entering a period of decline. It would make sense with our thesis if it were true. On the other hand, Jewish Americans are the one group um, that we study that have defied the, what otherwise seems to be an iron law of third-generation decline. It hasn't happened to the Jews in America. And I'll, and I'll give you a possible explanation of why that is, you know, for almost every other group when they get comfortable... Uh, by the third generation, you know, second generation has risen. They start to experience material comfort. They're 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 getting into positions of respect, and, and they have money. They start to lose the triple package. They get less insecure, the less impulse control. No. <laughs> but with Jewish Americans, here they have, uh, and I saw this with my own dad growing up. You get this opposite phenomenon. It's like we're starting to do well in this country. Now we have to get nervous. <laughs> this is when you know things could get could, could go wrong. So so there's that.
1: Their angst, angst is the driver. It's everything that's making the psychologists rich is also making the Jews rich. The Triple Package, how three unlikely traits explain the rise and fall of cultural groups in America. I think maybe the best compliment I could give it is that when you're done, you say, why are they even unlikely? Amy Chua, Jed Rubinfeld, the authors. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Getting your mailing and shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Well, I mean, maybe a tie. You get to send people mail and they like you for it. But really, not as joyous as it can be. But I know a better way. I know a way to inject joy into this process It's Stamps.com. Stamps.com, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk using your computer and your printer. There's discounts you don't even get at the post office. You know why? Who gets discounts at the post office? There, If you want to talk about one business that'll never give you a discount, it's the post office. Stamps.com's a way around that. You can save up to 80% off compared to a postage meter. Use the promo code the gist for this special offer. A no-risk trial, a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer that includes digital scale. I was at the post office the other day. Did anyone come up to me and say, hey, here's a digital scale? They did not, but this offer includes a digital scale and up to fifty-five dollars in free postage. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com. And enter the gist. And now the spiel. Potato famine. Well, this weekend I watched the Saturday Night Live special on Sunday. I love SNL. Carvey, Hartman, Belushi, oh, Belushi. And then it was President's Day. Americans are basking in the presidential glow. When I think of President's Day, I think of Abe Lincoln. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. Or a house divided against itself cannot stand. Or whiskey for the leprechauns, whiskey for the leprechauns. Or reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason must furnish all the materials for our future support and defense. And it was with reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason that I dedicated myself on President's Day to this one task. Registering online for, well, what my company calls Healthy Premiums. It's a subcontracted wellness site for my main insurer. I won't say the name of the subcontractee, but the site they run, it's a primary color and then a building material. Like blue is a primary color. Now, Their real name is not blue. It's also not yellow. But let's call it blue and then a building material like dung. Let's call it Blue Dung. Okay. Blue Dung defines itself as, quote, a health engagement and behavior change technology company that helps organizations reinvigorate their health and wellness programs. Now, let's take away the jargon, and here's what you get. And that there. All right. That's not going to work. So I'll tell you how Blue Dung would like to see itself as a company that my insurance company uses to get employees to be healthier. And the incentive is that if I, as an employee, fill out some blue dung online surveys, I get a discount. But let me tell you another way to view the concept of a discount, especially when you're dealing with something like health insurance, which they tell you they provide for you as part of your job. A discount for visiting the blue dung site and filling out the blue dung survey, very close to just charging you more for not filling out the survey. Punishment, incentive, punish incentive scares you. It should. So how healthy is Blue Dung going to get me? I go on to the site. I need a login, although I have a login for my computer and a login for Slate and a third login for the healthcare company that Slate provides. But I need a fourth login with a password, a new password for Blue Dung. The password must include a letter, a number. One of the letters has to be capitalized, a symbol, and it has to also end in a letter. Great. So once you do that, and of course forget it and then have to reapply and they email a new one to you. So once you do that, you fill out some health surveys, you complete a health assessment. You get some points for filling this out. You also get some points for completing a tobacco attestation. Attestation. It's 50 points for filling that out, 50 points for attestifying. So you're trying to add up to 600 points. And then when you add up to 600 points, you get $600 off your premium. Or thought about it the other more negative way. If you don't do it, they're going to charge you $600 more. So please click on all this nonsense. All right. So you're at the Blue Dung site, and here are the areas to visit. Listen to these. Health map. Okay. I guess that shows the journey that you're on. But under health map is journeys. Wait. How's that different from health map? Maybe the map tells you the direction your journey is going. But then there is compass, which is like a less accurate map. And under compass, it says track, which is what a map and a compass kind of do whatever. So you click on Journeys. Why not? Some will win, some will lose. And there's this menu which asks you to, quote explore journeys that inspire you oh sorry i think you missed a clicking a goddamn website so i don't have to pay 600 extra goddamn dollars for a soul nourishing exploration of conscience sorry did i stumble onto ashram.net but before i get my chakras all misaligned here are the choices presented under explore journeys that inspire you you got bedtime you got sleep different from bedtime, I don't know why, and slow down, eat less, that's all one. So I click on slow down, eat less, and it recommends use chopsticks. So for 50 points, I click and tell the machine, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll use some chopsticks. Hey, you ever see a Chinese person using chopsticks? They're shoveling noodles like a 1,600-watt Dyson vacuum attacks lint on an area rug. This is supposed to get me to slow down, but in order to get my 50 points towards my goal, sorry, my journey, of not having to pay 600 unfair extra dollars for healthcare, I say, yeah, sure, chopsticks, whatever website that channeled Elizabeth Gilbert for its web copy— But I can't just click chopsticks once. I have to acquiesce to a daily email telling me to use chopsticks every day. I also get this email every day saying sleep better. Here's the advice loosen your body bits, unclench every muscle group, starting at your feet and moving up through your body. Feel your feet, sense their weight. Let them relax and sink into the bed. Feel your calves, sense their weight. Let them relax and sink into the bed. Sense your bank account, feel your wallet. You can almost imagine it lightened by $600. Every day, I get an email telling me to buy a pillow. Buy a pillow, daily email. Is blue dung part owned by the memory foam people? Can't answer because in the mental health portion, Odd thoughts at inopportune times will cost me 50 points towards my goal of not being robbed of $600. This is quite a journey. Who put it together? Shackleton? My personal compass is pointing south for stupid. I'm almost shouting at the computer, you're giving me a heart attack! Which is a dumb thing to say because Blue Dung's going to charge me $50 for that remark. But I'm sitting here trying to save 50 bucks, pounding my fingers to a hash, slamming my keyboard so the wellness gestapo can make sure, can ascertain that I'm in a healthy state of wellness. Reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason. Who's kidding who, okay? There is no reason. There is freaking torture. Blue dung, you can save your $600. I have escaped with my sanity intact, and I'm not buying a pillow every day. And that's it for today's show. She's not just producer Andrea Salenzi, she's that clever shark. As a child, just intern Claire Tennisgetter played with all the classics. Bag of glass, bag of nails, bag of bugs, bag of vipers, bag of sulfuric acid. Managing producer of Slate Podcast, Joel Meyer, a native of the Malay Peninsula, comes in like a worm-eating fern bird and goes out like a worm-eating fern bird. Andy Bowers is a living organism on this planet and he's very safe. He's just taking a heavy drug. Relax, stay inside, listen to some music, okay? Got any almond Brothers? If you want to hear allman brothers or say the gist go to itunes you can get us there slate.com slash gist. email is the way to sign up for a daily email or you could go to yo download that app sign up for podcast we're on facebook.com slash slate gist we're against busting school children but for violins on television and soviet jewelry we are the gist thanks for listening This is Josh Levine, host of Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen. On this week's episode, we are joined by international free throw distraction expert Dan Engber to talk about Arizona State's curtain of distraction, the twerking unicorns that hide behind it, and the statistical significance of the twerking unicorns' actions. You can subscribe to Hang Up and Listen at iTunes.com slash Slate Podcasts.